Hello, Films with Ferrara podcast listeners. This is Dominic Ferrara, the editor-in-chief of filmswithferrara.wordpress.com, coming at you with our third reaction podcast from Film Fest 919 in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, if you have not listened to the podcast in the last two days discussing Noah Baumbach's marriage story and Trey Edward Schultz's waves, please go back in the feed and do so. Um, but today, we are going to be discussing three films instead of one. Uh, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Fernando Moraes' The Two Popes, and James Mangold's Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, these are three really different films, and I'm glad I got to see them all in one day. Really, really running the gamut of you know the sort of types of films that uh, you can see at a festival and that you know make up the cinema scene you have the sort of independent foreign film uh the sort of mid-budget drama and then you have the big blockbuster um so we'll go ahead and get started with the first film i saw this morning Celine Sciamma's portrait of a lady on fire this is a film from france uh took home the best screenplay prize at Cannes. Um, just a um a wonderful, beautiful film. Um, this is a love story at its core uh, between uh, two women and in, in an era where that love, sort of love is forbidden and, you know, these two women coming to terms with their love for one another and what it means that at the end of all this, they will have to walk away from each other. Um, it is it is a film that is very much caught up, as you could guess from the title of the film, in art, uh, the things that make up art, the way the way an artist works. It is very much caught up in all those little things, and you can see that through the filmmaking here. Um, the, the movie is really. A lot about just the small details, those little facial tics, that little, um, you know, just something someone does with their eyebrows when they feel a certain way or whatever that make up a relationship and make up life and also make a piece of art what it is. Um, and the film really, really dives into a lot of that. Uh, Shyama's close-ups are really powerful and really give you an, a sense of where these characters are at throughout the story in terms of really learning and discovering who they are. Um, the direction is stellar. She, uh, Siama gets just beautiful performances out of her, out of her two leads. This is, you know, really a movie with three characters. There's, there's a fourth character that sort of comes in and out a couple of times, but this is really a, a three-person movie. And all of the performances are, are really excellent. There are some really great filmmaking going on. Uh, like I said, the close-ups are gorgeous, but there are also just these beautiful wide shots of this landscape along the water. And it, it's beautiful to look at. Um, the you know love scenes themselves are, are tasteful. There's no... There's nothing graphic about them in any way. Um, Shyama, being a, a queer filmmaker herself, is really in tune with 
what you know her actor what her actors are comfortable with and the sort of message that needs to come across with the love scenes and they're really tender and moving um again nothing graphic really at all there is nudity but no graphic um nothing out of the ordinary i feel like um it's beautifully written uh, that that can best screenplay prize was well deserved it it really really like i said captures just those small little things that make up a relationship and the the things that you notice those details about a person that really get you interested in a person it is um, among the more beautiful films i've seen this year it definitely moves slow um, takes a while to get moving. It's a, it's a slow burn, no pun intended. Um, but once it hits that second half and it really does become more of a romance, it really, really gets moving. And, and that's clearly where, where Shyama's in her wheelhouse as she's going through the film itself. Um, the admiration out of Can is, is well earned and well understood. Um, it it really is just an excellent piece of cinema and if if you get a chance to see it i highly recommend it it'll probably be on vod fairly soon uh, most foreign films are in the united states so i hope you guys get a chance to see it um, re- really just and, and i don't remember if i'm uh, yeah the performances i did mention but again the performances are excellent Please seek out Portrait of a Lady on Fire if you get a chance. And some of Shyama's older films. I'm definitely, uh, you know, new to her work. And I'm definitely going to go back and watch some of her other stuff. Because this is just a beautifully, beautifully made film. Um, really something special and luscious at times. Uh, let's see. Our second film of the day was Fernando Moraes' The Two Popes. Uh, this is a Netflix film starring Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. It really is a two-hander. There's not really any other substantial supporting characters. It's just um, Anthony Hopkins is Pope Benedict XVI, and Jonathan Price is our current Pope, Pope Francis. And, I mean, both of them are stellar. Their performances are excellent. They should probably both be nominated for Academy Awards. Uh, Hopkins definitely will probably get a supporting nomination. Best Actor is so stacked that Jonathan Price has has quite a, a ways to work to to get that nomination. But the screenplay by Anthony McCartan is really intelligent. Um, you know, sometimes it gets a little bit in its own way, but he's able to imbue this film not only with this sort of conflict over the direction of the Catholic Church and you know, whether the church should be a more conservative institution or a more progressive institution. Uh, but he's also able to imbue a film that does tackle that head-on with a good amount of humor. It's a very funny movie um, while also dealing with some really heavy stuff. There's a section um, in the second act, beginning of the third act, probably the second act, I should say, where Pope Francis is, before he's Pope, um, the movie follows the the really the transition between popes here, um, and Pope Francis is 
basically confessing to Pope Benedict um, about why he should not be the next pope, why it would be absurd for him to be the next pope. And it's this really heavy sequence which takes place during um, a dictatorship in Argentina in the 20th century. And it's something I never knew about, and it's a really powerful thing to see on film. Um, something that we, we don't really hear about in history classes or in cinema or in popular media at all. And I thought it, the way they dramatized that and Pope Francis's role in that was, was really interesting. It, it added a layer of, you know, we hear so much about how Pope Francis is this really progressive pope, but he has this sort of colored, dark past that I never knew about and really, you know, makes you think of him in a different way. You know, I I personally grew up Catholic. I stopped going to the church a while ago, but, you know, my my dad, when when everyone was together and my family raised me Catholic and the Pope was a big deal. As I told someone today, I remember when Benedict was elected Pope and I ran to my occupational therapist. We were like, I was like, we have a Pope, there's white smoke. Um, so I, I remember that being a big deal. So, you know, I still am kind of in tune with that sort of stuff in a way just because it has affected my life in the past and potentially could in the future, unlikely, but whatever. And um, thinking about that sort of progressive nature of the Pope contrasted with what he's done in the past um, is interesting and how those mistakes that he made play into that sort of more progressive style um, of the papacy. Um, not that he is, you know, the most progressive person on planet Earth, but as far as the papacy goes, it's it, it's an interesting. It's vastly different from what we're used to. We've been used to for a long time in that position. Um, like I said, really smartly written, well acted. Moraes's direction is interesting. His filmmaking style here. There are a lot of quick pans, quick zooms, both in and out. Um, the, the camera movement is really in your face at times. Uh, it's to interesting effect. It felt very documentarian in that way, but also kind of drew me away at times uh, from, from the action and the dialogue itself because I was paying more attention to why Moraes chose to do a quick zoom in and quick zoom back out than whatever Anthony Hopkins was saying or whatever Jonathan Price was saying. It's very flashy camera movement. Um, I still enjoyed this film a great deal, honestly. I, it's not, I didn't think it was as good as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, but I, I certainly had an enjoyable time in the theater um, watching this film. It's definitely worth checking out when it hits Netflix. This is, like I said, a Netflix film. And, you know, it doesn't reinvent the wheel in any way, but The Two Popes is a really fun watch that I think you could sit down with your family and, and really have an interesting conversation, especially if you are religious in any way. Um, and in the Catholic Church, it's a really fascinating conversation starter, I think.
And the last film I saw today was James Mangold's Ford vs. Ferrari, a vastly different film than either of these two. This is a big-budget studio blockbuster, um, sort of, you know, reminiscent of the big studio blockbusters of this nature, sort of dramatic blockbuster of the the 70s and the 60s, and uh, with two big movie stars leading the film, and Christian Bale and Matt Damon. And it is it, it's a it's a solid film. Um, it's again doesn't reinvent the wheel. Feels like I said, really reminiscent and almost defensive of those sort of seventies blockbusters that that once populated the multiplexes. That these big budget movies with big set pieces that maybe didn't um, maybe had you know, elements sort of missing or whatever. And this definitely, you know, there's stuff that it does feel missing, Um, especially I would have liked more from Katrina Balfe's character, um, who is Christian Bale's wife. I I really wish she had kind of been more than what she was Um, in that way. Like I said, this sort of supportive wife role very reminiscent of those 70s movies. That's an element I really could have used more of. But at the same time, the film already is a, a little bit long. You mostly only feel that in the first act. I think the movie takes a little while to get going. But once you hit the the, the second act or the middle of the first act, it really, it really goes full speed ahead. No pun intended. The performances from Bale and Damon, I mean, obviously not career best, but when you have actors of their caliber, it's very hard to get career best performances. And they are both excellent in the film. Uh, Tracy Letts is also very, very good in a supporting role. He is, he is one, one or two scenes where he really sort of steals the show. And the screenplay is is solid. It, again, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit long. The movie's two and a half hours long. But... Um, Dialogue-wise, I was really, you know, not not that there was any like really sharp lines in there, but I I was really entertained by by what the screenplay had to offer. And in terms of the filmmaking going on here, uh, Mangold obviously has to craft these really intricate, different, difficult racing sequences uh, with these obviously really fast cars and difficult you know turns and you know those are those are tough to capture especially on the sort of filmmaking level that they're doing here it's not a nascar race where you just hang a camera up above and watch them go by this is really sort of up close and personal on the way they stage these racing sequences and in the end he does it masterfully um, James Mangold is obviously one of our better American filmmakers, and he, he really shows it in that way. He has an ability to you know, craft a set piece in a way that provides the movie with a little bit of heart and a little bit of soul, but also gives you the spectacle of a, a big studio blockbuster where you know, a lot of money was poured into it. This is a, a movie that is best seen big and loud, um, especially with those racing set pieces in the, towards the end of the second act and in the third act. The car sequences are just so 
gripping. And the character stuff is also very gripping and interesting, especially in the back two-thirds of the movie as Damon and Bale are really playing off each other more. At the beginning of the movie, they're, they're a little bit separated, but by a certain point in the film, they're back together and working together and playing off each other. And it just becomes a much better film once that begins to happen more often. Um, really well shot, like I said. Um, the, the kinetic energy that really jumps off the screen during those racing sequences really makes this an entertaining sit. Um, even at two and a half hours, after a certain point, that movie really did start to fly by for me. And I walked out of the movie really entertained, happy, and really happy that a studio was, a major studio was willing to pour so much money into a film like that. Um, as you know, imperfect as it may be, the fact that a major studio was willing to pour a significant amount of money into a two-hander with two A-list stars, um, a master filmmaker, and you know, uh, a big budget to to create these set pieces is is really a really a welcome thought in this in this era of Hollywood filmmaking. Uh, obviously, we just had Joker come out last week, which, no matter what your thoughts on the movie are, it was a $30 million character study with an A-list actor at the lead, and whether you liked the film or not, it was certainly a risk to make that movie at you know that sort of price tag. Not that it was a, a massive budget or anything. I would assume Ford versus Ferrari cost a significant amount of money, significant amount larger significantly larger amount. I can't speak. I'm sorry. I saw three movies today. Um, then, then Joker did. Um, just a much more expensive film in the end. But Ford versus Ferrari, a really entertaining movie. It should be seen on the big screen as loud and big as possible when it comes out in November. Please go see it so that you know <laughs> major studios are still willing to make movies like that. Uh, it's the same pitch I gave to people for Ad Astra uh, for to see a movie with a large budget from a major studio that doesn't feel safe for, to have given that larger budget to, but is worth it in the end, and it shows up in the filmmaking. Thank you guys so much for putting up with my slip of the tongue right there and not understanding what to say. Um, for whatever reason, Anchor does not really allow me to go back and edit these properly on my laptop, which stinks. But I hope you guys enjoyed this reaction podcast to Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Two Popes and Ford versus Ferrari. I'll have an even longer one coming for you tomorrow. We're going to be seeing four movies tomorrow and reacting to all four of those. I'm going to be at the festival from... 10 o'clock to basically 11.30 at night tomorrow. If you guys are at the festival, please come say hi. Um, longer written reviews of all these films will be up on the website hopefully within the next couple of weeks. I'm going to get a bunch done during my fall break next week. Um, like I said, four reactions coming tomorrow in one podcast. Uh, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit, the champion of the Toronto International Film Festival, 
Craig Brewer's Dolomite is my name, uh, starring Eddie Murphy. So happy to have him back on the big screen. That's why I made an effort to see this on the big screen instead of on Netflix. Although it will be on Netflix within the next couple of weeks. So if you can't make it out to a festival or a theater that's showing it, I know the Alamo Draft House is showing Dolomite is my name. Um, if you can't make it out to a theater, please watch it while you're on Netflix because it's Eddie Murphy. Come on, guys. We need more Eddie Murphy. I'm seeing Pain and Glory, Pedro Almodovar's film at 9.15 tomorrow night. And then, of course, uh, before that, at 4.20, I wanted to save this one for last, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. I've heard nothing except that this film is the second coming of Jesus Christ himself for the last four, five months or so. I cannot wait to see it. The buzz is off the charts. Uh, big Oscar buzz surrounding Parasite. Potential best picture winner? Question mark. Uh, which would be awesome uh, for a film like that to get recognition. If I know that opened up in three theaters this weekend, two in Los Angeles, one in New York, which completely sold out for the weekend already, which is amazing. Uh, If Parasite continues to expand to a theater near you, I haven't even seen the movie. I'm just going to go ahead and say, please go see it. I'll tell you guys what I thought of it tomorrow. I cannot wait to see the work of a master filmmaker like Bong Joon-ho. And once again, guys, please go ahead and subscribe on the podcast app that you're listening to right now or any other podcast app. It's greatly appreciated. Please follow our social media accounts at Film with Ferrara on Twitter. Not films, film, thanks to the Twitter character limit, at Film with Ferrara. Films with Ferrara on Facebook. And then you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dom Ferrara 5. That is F E R R A R A. And once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the movies.